0: You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. If you have a Bible, please open it. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read our text today. Uh, This is a continuation of what we saw last week. If you remember... Just as a, as a quick uh, recap, Acts chapter 1 begins with Jesus coming back to life, resurrecting and spending 40 days with His disciples, and then giving them uh, His last teachings and His last words. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. And then He takes them to a mount, and then He tells them that they need to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father that will empower them to be uh, His witnesses not only in Jerusalem, but everywhere in the world. And then Jesus ascends. He's taken up, and the disciples obey Jesus. They go back to Jerusalem, and they spend time there. They choose a substitute for Judas. And then uh, uh, during the Feast of Pentecost, they're all together, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they start speaking different languages. And the people, uh, which by the... um, um, Man, I just put a blank. Uh, There was estimated, by the estimations of that time, there was probably about half a million people in Jerusalem back then. And and there's this noise, and people come, and they start listening to the disciples preach the word of God, talk about the wonders of God, the gospel, in their own language, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is happening. Then a a bigger crowd gets together. Peter stands up, preaches the word of God, 3,000 people become Christian, and this is the beginning of the church. Then, a few days pass. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. They find a, a, a crippled man that's begging for money, and they heal the man. The man gets up. This causes a commotion in the temple. People gather again. Peter stands up again, filled with the Spirit, preaches another sermon, and 5,000 people become Christian. And this is happening in just the first three days. Chapters of Acts, then the leaders of the church, the ones who uh, crucify Jesus, they get angry, they get annoyed, and they put Peter and John in jail, along with the crippled man, and then they judge them, and then at the end, they just threaten them not to speak about Jesus and do these things that they're doing, and then they release them. So that's when our text today begins, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. I want to tell you a story. Um, some of you know that um, my son, Joel, uh, against my will, decided that he was not going to play football, the real football, the one that you use your foot to play with. Uh, um, so he decided to play baseball, and he has turned out to be a really good baseball player, and I have his permission to tell his story. Uh, and I'm actually really proud. He's a, a, a great baseball player. He's a great batter, and uh, I'm, I'm so proud of him. And last season, he made it to what's called the All-Star Team. So they uh, uh, try out, and the best players of the league get to do, uh, make it to this team. A- and he was actually batting really well during the regular season, and he actually hit two home runs uh, during a practice. That's a big thing. Uh, not yet in a game, but hopefully soon. And, uh, and he, was, he was just doing really well. But then uh, they started playing other All-Stars teams. So the level just suddenly went up, right? And he was used to facing regular pitchers, and usually in this league, uh, everybody pitches. So there are some bad pitchers and some good pitchers. So he was killing it during the season, and then he went to the All-Stars, and he started playing other All-Star pitchers, and he started to notice that some of these kids threw really, really hard. Uh, at least in his eyes. No, I, I've, I've seen the ball and it's actually pretty hard. And um, some of these 12 year olds are like six feet and I don't even know what they're feeding these kids now, <laughs> but they are scary. So Joel was coming up to the plate and facing these guys and if you've ever played baseball, the ball passes really close to you and you don't have a lot of equipment to, to protect you other than the helmet and a few other things. So Joel got started to get a little scared about uh, batting against some really good pitcher pitchers. And, uh, of course, he was scared of getting hit. It makes sense. And um, he, his batting just began to, to slowly get um, not as good. And he started to celebrate, and I noticed not only him but his teammates to celebrate every time he, they saw a, a pitcher that wasn't as good, right? But the issue, though, is that Being a batter and playing baseball is basically all about facing this rock (laughs) that comes to you super fast. There's really no escaping the risk of being hit in baseball. In fact, if you've played baseball, you are going to get hit at some point, and he's he's been hit, I've been hit, uh, and I don't even play it. Uh, (laughs) There's no escaping the risk of uh, being hit uh, with the baseball. Playing baseball it's about many things, but one of them, and probably the biggest one, is overcoming the fear of getting hit, hit with the ball. The problem is that the kids that are the most scared of the balls usually are the ones that are more are in more, in more danger, because they're not paying attention, and even their fear makes them make mistakes, and we've actually witnessed one of his teammates being hit in the face, and two teeth come out in a practice, and it's horrible. Uh, But uh, the reason why I I bring this up is is, uh, not to expose my son, because I'll I'll tell a little something. He's he's doing way better now, and that's the next part later. But I see this in in our lives as Christians. I think that we forget that our faith, our Christianity, is all about facing the fear of sharing the gospel. It is not easy. It is not something that we naturally do. Nobody gets in front of a rock that's coming to you at 60 miles per hour, naturally. But this is what they have to do. And being a Christian is something that we have to do, and we have to. We are commanded to share the good news of the gospel, and it is scary. It is not easy. You can get rejected. You can be ridiculed. You can be made fun of. In fact, it will most likely happen. And in this text, and in the book we're reading, the book of Acts, Sharing, your, sharing the gospel, sharing your faith, actually ends up in your suffering. This guy has ended up in jail, and as we will see, this will get worse. So, just like in baseball, there's no way around facing the ball, in Christianity, there's no way around sharing your faith. So, my title today is We Must Live Boldly on Mission. We must understand that our lives as Christians are all about sharing what we have. Yes, at the core of our faith, there is a message, the message of the gospel, the message of grace, the message that we have been saved, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. But this is not a a static or passive message that we're just supposed to internalize. No. This is a living message that, in fact, leads us, pushes us to action, to sharing it. In fact, if we understand the message, if we truly understand the gospel, if we truly have faith, then this faith will move us. It will push us to share it with others. There is no way around it. It pushes us to do Something that is difficult. The gospel, the message that saves us, the message that brings us hope and love and peace, also at the same time simultaneously brings us discomfort and challenges us and sometimes brings pain. Being a Christian is about sharing your faith. It's about telling others about Jesus. Being a Christian is not about only coming to church or reading your Bible or praying. That is just one part of it. The other part is that we share this message with others. It is not a suggestion. It is not called the great suggestion. It is a command. It is a commission, and we're supposed to do it together. It's a great commission. And we are told in Matthew 28, and we all, or we should all know this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And in the book that we're reading in Acts, it is repeated, And Jesus, before he leaves, his last words to his disciples were, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice that in both commissions, We are not left alone to our own devices. In both commissions, in the first one of Matthew, Jesus says, I am with you always. And in the second one, he tells us how he's with us, and he says, through the Holy Spirit, you will receive power, and I will be with you through the Holy Spirit. I believe that in today's text, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, we are reminded that this... Sharing our faith must be done with boldness, meaning we need courage to do it. But why do we need boldness and courage? Because as I said before, it is scary and it is difficult. Think about this. You don't need courage or boldness to do something that is easy and simple. You don't need it. Do you need boldness when a ladybug comes into your house or if you, you, do you need boldness to step over an ant that just walked into your house? No. It will be ridiculous to say, oh, how brave you were in killing that ant, right? Because it doesn't require any, anything. But if, you, if I see a rattlesnake go into your house and you face it and grab it and kill it, then I'll be like, wow, <laughs> I respect you. That takes courage. Why? Because it's risky. Because it requires boldness and courage. That's why Jesus says, you're going to need help. What you're going to do, what you're about to do, what I'm commanding you to do is difficult. It requires courage and boldness. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, clearly tells us with his own life that being a Christian requires boldness. We look at, at his life, it requires courage. But he explicitly said it to the Ephesian church in chapter 6 of Ephesians. He's asking for prayer. And if I can think of anyone who does not need more of that is Paul. But he asks the people in Ephesus to pray for him. And he says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is Paul speaking. He is asking for prayer so that he can be bold. And as we will see throughout the book of Acts, we are called to live boldly on mission. And I I find four different things that we need to do based on this text so that we can live boldly on mission. The first one is that we must encourage each other with our stories. So verse, ver, verse 23, we see that Peter, and, Peter and, and and John are released and they go to their friends and they report what happened. They go back to their community, to the Christian community, which they are called their friends, and they share what happened to them. They reported everything that they witnessed and what happened. And when they when they heard them, when the friends heard what happened, they immediately started worship. Worshiping God and praying. Verse 24 says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They immediately started worshiping God. In other words, whatever Peter and John said to them brought encouragement to the people hearing that story. And I would like to argue that this is something that we need to do as a church in order to live boldly on mission. We need to share our stories and we need to encourage each other by telling people how have we done it. And not only what we've done right, but also maybe sharing some of the things that we have done out of fear or or not only our victories, but also our defeats. Sharing our stories helps us realize that as a church, we're not the only ones struggling. And if we're honest... We should probably tell each other more or confess to each other more. You know, it's really hard for me to preach to my neighbor or to talk to my coworker or to share my faith in school. The reality is that most of us struggle with that. And it's in the text. That's why Jesus said, "I'm going to send you some help because I'm looking at you and I don't think you can do it." <laughs> and that's most of us. It's hard. But the problem is that I grew up in church thinking that I was the only chicken in the whole church. I looked at other people, especially those that are evangelists by nature, and I compared myself to them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not a real Christian. I'm ashamed of my faith. I'm not saved. God is going to. Like I was just already like feeling so down because I wasn't sharing. And nobody was sharing with me that they also struggled with that. So sharing our stories will encourage us. It will help us understand that we're not the only ones struggles. We will feel understood. But it will also help us because we will hear some people that actually took the step and did it, and it worked. And it will probably challenge us to say, hey, maybe I should try that. Just like Peter and John, hearing other people's stories challenges us and l- Encourages us to worship and to prayer, and we should share our stories with each other. So I want to I encourage you: if you're in a chat or if you have a good friend at church, share your stories of good and bad things that you've done, and things that have worked and things that have not worked with with you. And they don't have to be the recent ones. You can also share the past ones. You know, this is a common a common um, practice amongst missionaries i don't know if you've ever been to a mission trip but usually if you go to a mission trip at the end of the day what is it that they do they debrief right all of the kids or all the people go back together and they talk about what god did through them and then you hear these people that did that and some other people that had this conversation and all of that encourages each other that's what we should do and don't think that your stories. Are just small. There are no small stories. We're all sowing seeds. If you have a testimony, share your testimony. And not only with believers, but maybe also with other people that are not believers. And my last encouragement with, with, with this point is that as, as much as you also share, listen, ask people about their stories. We need to also listen to others. And be curious about, what did you do? Reach out to, other, to others and say, hey, I'm, trying, I'm thinking of like, talking to my neighbor. How, can I, how did you do it? Uh, and, and right now, we're facing the fact that we have neighbors that are from other countries. And maybe you don't speak the language. And it's difficult. Our neighbors are Egyptian. On the other side, we have two, three, two Egyptian families in our block. And then Ibrahim the, uh, A- who's here, who's from Iraq. And we're having this difficulty. So we now have some experience, maybe. So if you find someone, I, I, I talked to uh, Rebecca and Andrew. They spent some time in Egypt. And, and maybe their perspective will help me. So all of that will encourage us all. The other thing that I want to share is that in order for us to live boldly on mission, is that we must... Pray together as a church. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign God, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. Part of the encouragement that they received is that it led the whole church to pray together. This was their immediate response to listening to their story. They worshiped God, they recognized that He was sovereign, that He was their creator, and they ran to Jesus. They also prayed because they knew they needed God. And prayer is the best example of dependence on God. We must depend on God to carry the mission of God. I was having a conversation with Carla yesterday or, d- or two days ago, I think it was yesterday, about this kid that we see in our neighborhood, and and uh, I just do not know how to engage him. And I kept like, Every time I see him, I'm like, how can I talk to this person? And it's just, I can't find a way in. There's no, he's 17 or something like that, and I don't know how to relate. And, and, and I'm just, all, all of this is happening in my brain. And I was talking to Carla. He, she was asking me about this, and I'm, I caught myself, and I said, you know what? I probably need to, need to just pray. Instead of come up with my own device of like, how am I going to do this? I haven't even prayed for the guy. We need to depend on God. To carry the mission of God. And there's an important element in everything they're doing, is that they are informed by the Word of God. If you notice, their prayer is basically Psalms 2, verses 1 and 2. It's a direct quotation from what David said about the Messiah. They are praying and not only understanding that God is fulfilling prophecy in front of their eyes, but they're also praying and understanding that God determined everything that was gonna happen from Jesus to themselves. And they quote Psalms 2, verses 1 and 2. And they say, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. And they're talking about Jesus. And how these leaders plotted against God and his anointed, which is Jesus. But I want to focus that I want to fo- I want us to focus that their prayers are based on Scripture. They're highlighting the fact that they not only need to be bold, but they need to depend on God because they understood that God controls everything. This word sovereignty means that God is in control of everything; that He owns everything, that he's the creator. He's not only the creator, but he's also the manager, and he's also the one that decides what's going to happen. Their prayer, which was based on Scripture, was a reminder that God is always in control. And this is important for us when we think about living boldly on mission because sometimes the reason why we think it's so hard or the reason why we don't want to take a step is because we can't control the outcome. And we're afraid of what people are going to say. And that's what stops me most of the time. Isn't it true that when you're thinking of talking to that person, everything you're thinking of is like, what is he or she going to say? What if... She laughs at me. I heard the other day that she made a comment about church. And you're always thinking about these things. You're anticipating what's going to happen. But guess what? You can't control that. We don't know what's going to happen. It's always a step of faith. But we know the person who, in fact, controls all of that. God knows what's going to happen. God knows if that person is going to become a Christian or not. God knows if that person is going to accept it or not. God knows if he's going to sanctify you through them making fun of you. He knows all of those things. But we don't. But this church is praying, understanding, God, we're only doing what you tell us to do, and you're controlling everything. And you did it with Jesus through David. And now we're here, and we're seeing this prophecy being fulfilled. Colombian professor of Old testament Milton Acosta says their prayer was an affirmation of their fundamental convictions. They confessed that God is sovereign, therefore affirming that only he alone controls the entire universe and that he alone has the last word in history. When we're out there and we're thinking of sharing the gospel, and when we're praying, we have to go to a God and understand that we're talking to the person that makes the decision. He is the one that makes the decision. Not you. Not even the other person in the end. It's God. And then they affirm it. For truly in this city we're gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, Listen to verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The only thing that Herod and Pontius Pilate were doing was doing what God wanted them to do. Our God controls not only our lives, but the universe, we can rest in a God who knows what's going to happen. And if God chooses that they're going to laugh at you, he has a purpose on that. And if God chooses that he is going to allow them to take you to jail because you raise your voice for Christ, he has a purpose for that. And that's actually the story of the entire book of Acts. God not only allowed them to suffer, he used their suffering. He took Paul from Jerusalem all the way to Rome so that people in Rome would know the gospel. God is controlling. God is sovereign. He knows everything. He knows the outcome. So I want to encourage you that just like them, if we want to live boldly on mission, we must pray together as a church constantly. We must pray in dependence on His sovereignty we pray because he can. We pray because he's powerful. We pray because he knows everything. We pray because he's our help. We pray because he's our strength. We pray because we need him. And I, I frame this intentionally. We must pray together. Prayer is not something that we do only individually. We must do it together and together not as in your community group but as a church as one body and constantly because we must pray constantly because as a church we need to let God know that we depend on him so I want to encourage us to pray together as a church constantly and I do another announcement We switch our church-wide prayer to once a month, so please make a note. This is going to be now the fourth Friday of every month. I know it's not the most convenient day of the week, but I don't think there is such a thing. It doesn't matter if it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day. Someone is going to say, that's not my best day. I'm sorry. We chose Friday. Let's make her a priority It's going to be at my house the last Friday of the month from 7 to 9. We're going to be hosting prayer in our house. And if you want to host prayer, please do. But we need to pray together as a church constantly. Make time. Come and join us. We have to depend on God. I want to remind us, people will not become Christians because of our production. People will now become Christians because of our band, or our organization, or our kids' ministry, or the preacher, whether bad or good, whatever you think. It's not that. It's God. We need to go to him. The last thing, uh, sorry, I have one more, is that we must ask God for boldness if we want to live boldly on mission. This is the key verse of this text. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They asked for boldness. Notice, they asked for more of the very thing that got them in trouble. They asked God to give them more courage and boldness to continue to do the very thing that caused them pain and they didn't quit, and they didn't give up. No, they asked for more of the same to keep going. I was going to say about Joel, this is what I did with Joel. Instead of saying, oh, you're afraid? Well, let's put you with the 12-year-olds or the 10-year-olds or the 9-year-olds so that you can feel comfortable. That's not what I did. If you're an athlete and if you're here to sports, you know that's not what you're supposed to do. What is it that you're supposed to do? make him face it. So I told him, all right, you're going to play up. So now you're going to try out and I'm going to put you to play with the 13 all the way to 16 year olds. And, I, and he did it. And guess what? His swing and his, his boldness got better. If you know baseball, he was the second in the lineup for batting in this new division. And I was so proud of him. And we need to do the same. We can't chicken out. We can't just say, oh, this is not for me. This is so hard. I'm just going to not do it. No. We have to push ourselves, and we need to ask God to give us more boldness, more of the same. We need to face our fears. We need to ask God to give us what we don't have so that we, in time, will become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And the reality is that as Christians, We have created this mentality that God is somehow a genie to avoid pain. In fact, there are many circles in in, in Christianity that actually say that Christianity is all about avoiding pain. If you're familiar with some of the Hispanic uh, cults and sects that are there, uh, there is one that's called uh, Stop Suffering. And I've mentioned this before. There's one called Para de Sufrir. That's literally what they preach about. Like, become a Christian so that you will stop suffering. There is nothing more anti biblical than that message. There is nothing more anti biblical than come to Christ so that you'll stop uh, suffering. If a pastor or a teacher tells you that, run away from that church, there's completely against what Jesus, Jesus explicitly said. And this church actually did not pray for that. René Padilla, one of my favorite theologians that I constantly quote, says, they didn't ask God to send an army of angels to protect them or to exterminate their adversaries, but rather they asked for boldness to not stay silent and succumb to their threats. They asked for boldness to never, to never stop their missionary impulse. It was a prayer of trust in which they expressed And absolute dependence of God. Being a Christian is about living boldly for Jesus. Sharing your faith. It's a constant battle. It's risky. But we must not fight this fight alone. We must go to God and ask him for help. He already told us. I already said this. In both of the commissions, we are told you're not alone. I'm with you. I'm sending you help because you're going to need it. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Unfortunately, as we now know, this prayer became constant. And things did not get better for the disciples. If you actually keep reading the book of Acts, you will notice an increase in the suffering. They started by... If you remember, chapter 2, the spirit falls, and some people mock them, right? Remember? Some people are like, ha-ha, look at these People are uh, so weird. (laughs) Ha-ha-ha. Chapter 3, they get in jail. Chapter 4, they're threatened by the authorities. Guess what's going to happen? They're going to get in jail again, and now they're going to beat them and flog them. And then, chapter 6, they're going to stone them, and then they're going to behead them, and then they're going to burn them alive to the point that Christians became people that were murdered by... for recreation it did not get better for them so we need boldness and courage and if we look at our world right now i do not foresee things getting better for christians anytime soon so if there's a time where we need the holy spirit and we need the power of god to share the word of god is now And instead of asking God to remove all these enemies who are crazy, maybe we should copy what they're doing and say, God, please give us more boldness to continue to preach your word. Notice, they were not raising their voice against the tyrants and against them, the others. They were asking God for courage to preach the word. Our weapon is the gospel. Our weapon is the word of God not tagging people as the enemy. That's not our weapon. Jesus promised us as Christians that we would suffer. It is a promise. It is not an if. It is a promise. John 15, verse 18 to 21, Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is, You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember that I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And then Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16 through 18, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings. Look, Jesus is prophesying in exactly what Jesus said. It happened. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And then later on Jesus says brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We have no option but to face the ball. You have to stand there. And look at the ball, come straight at you and swing. That's all you have to do. You have no option. We must preach the word of God boldly. And if we get hit, so be it. We keep going. In fact, if you get hit, you can take your base. If we want to live on mission boldly, we need to ask God for it because we're going to need it. So I want to encourage us all to make sure that every time we pray, we pray for boldness. On that same sermon, in Matthew 10, Jesus said, Prophetically, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious. How are you to speak or what are you to say? For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This is exactly what happened in Acts. This is my last point. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to live boldly on mission. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the same pattern we've seen since chapter 1. In chapter 1, Jesus promises that they will be filled with the Spirit. For what reason? With what purpose? So that they will be their wit- His witnesses. He will give them the power through the Spirit to be witnesses. To talk about Jesus. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, what happens? They are filled with the Spirit, and they start preaching the Word of God in different languages so that people will understand. And then what happened in chapter 3? Peter is filled and preaches to a crowd and the Sanhedrin, one of the biggest messages, and 5,000 people become Christian. Chapter 4, they pray, and they are filled with the Spirit, and they continue to preach the Word of God. Filled with the Spirit, preach the Word. Filled with the Spirit, preach the Word. Being filled with the Spirit is not for show. Being filled with the Spirit is not for you to do crazy things and act weird. It is not the purpose of the Spirit. The purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you will have the power, the boldness to speak the Word of God to people. So, if you're being filled with the Spirit and all you do is say weird things and see with weird things, then maybe that's something you're eating or smelling, or smoking, but it's not what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing. In fact, the main topic of this book is that the Spirit is working through these people to fulfill the mission of God. And like I said before, the main character of the book of Acts is not the disciples or the apostles, it's the Holy Spirit. And in fact, if you want, you can, go, you can go back and look at book one of Luke, which is the, uh, the gospel of Luke, and then look at book two, which is the book of Acts, and look at the difference in, in the emphasis on the Holy Spirit that it, Luke has. Luke talks about how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was taken to the, to the um, desert. desert? By the Holy Spirit. He was baptized and the Holy Spirit was present. Even G- John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah was, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke is one of the main authors that talks about the Holy Spirit the most. And his, his second book is all about the Holy Spirit too. Why? Because Luke understood something we need to understand. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do our work. And they understood it and they experienced this. This is what happened to Peter. He was filled with the Spirit and he preached. And we'll see this is what happened to uh, Stephen. He was filled with the Spirit and he preached. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and will, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They spent time in prayer and they were filled with the Spirit, and they received the power to continue to live boldly on mission. Things got harder, but because of the Spirit, they didn't shy away. They pressed on boldly, even as persecution got worse. And we need to do the same. We need to press harder. We need to continue through the power of the Holy Spirit, even as things get worse. We cannot do our job as Christians without the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit with you. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have the help already. You just need to tap into it and pray and ask him to help you. And if you're not a believer... God wants to give you the help you need. God is not only interested in doing uh, miracles and healings, which he will do. God is interested in, in healing your life and bringing restoration and doing wonders in your life. But he's also interested in healing you, not only physically, but also spiritually. He wants you to be used by him. He wants you to be a tool in his hands for the expansion of his kingdom. And all you have to do is understand that this message, the message that moves us, is the message that we are all sinners. We all sin. We're all enemies of God. We're all death in our trespasses and sins. We all can't save ourselves. And God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us so that we don't have to save ourselves, so that we don't have to behave well, so that we don't have to do the things that He requires. In fact, Jesus comes and does it for us. He dies. He pays for our sins on the cross. He forgives us, and He defeats not only sin, But death, and he resurrects, he comes back to life, and he offers us life, eternal, perfect, forever with him, free of charge by grace. And this is the message of the gospel that moves us. And if you're not a believer, this is the message that God offers you today. And you can come to him. All you have to do is repent from your sin, come to him. And believe that he is your God. Romans 10 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is the message for all of us today. We must live boldly on mission. And when I want to challenge all of us. We're going to get this reminder over and over in the book of Acts. As a church, we must. Continue to live on mission. There is no way around facing our fears. We have to, but we have help to live boldly. We have the the Holy Spirit with us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you because you are with us. We thank you because your word is living and active and is powerful and it changes us and it challenges us and it transforms us, but it also brings comfort and it also brings peace and joy. Thank you because you didn't only just give us a commission, and a, an order, a command, but you also provided the tools and the power to do it. And you have given us the Holy Spirit. And I pray today that all of us would be filled with your spirit and we would all proclaim the good news of the gospel in our city to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the people in our schools, to the people in our families, all around us. I pray that you would give us the power to preach. And I pray that we would see results. I pray that you would surprise us all. Lord, we know that more than us, you want people to be saved. And I pray that you would allow us to be witnesses of that power at work. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And every week, we respond tangibly to receiving God's word by uh, celebrating communion together. And this is a reminder for us that Jesus has died on the cross in our place. And through his death and resurrection, his blood was spilled and we are now forgiven. uh, And we can have access to him any day. So if you're a believer, I want to invite you to participate. I'm going to ask you to come through the middle aisle and exit through the side aisles. And as you chew the bread, remember that the body of Jesus was, was broken on your behalf. And as you drink the the juice or the wine, remember that His blood cleanses us. That now when God sees you, He smiles and He loves you and He has nothing against you because Jesus, through His blood, has paid it all. It is finished. So we can freely come to the table and enjoy intimacy with God forever. Amen. You may come forward. And as we go this week, as a benediction, I want to remind us all of the amazing God we have. And as I read from Romans 11, uh, verses 33 to 36, one of my favorite passages, and it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. May I go in peace? Have a great week. See you next week. Not here, an evergreen church. And please give a hand to the band and thank them for being here with us. Thank you, guys. We're not finished. And now you can go for, for, for real. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, guys.